So as a GP, this is obviously a good thing because if it's a straight up profit split, you end up making more money as opposed to having to give away 8%, 10% of the deal before you make a profit split. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast episodes that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these episodes and series, we offer some free PDF how-to guides, PowerPoint presentation templates, Excel calculators, things like that, that will help you on your apartment syndication journey. All of those free documents as well as past syndication school series can be found at syndicationschool.com. And this is going to be a continuation of yesterday's episode, or if you're listening to this in the future, the episode before this one, where we are talking about the top apartment syndication lessons from the Best Ever Conference 2020. Yesterday, we talked about, or the episode before, we talked about the day one lessons, and today, we're going to be talking about the day two lessons. So, the first set of lessons comes from the session called The Life of a Champion, which is the talk given by Buffalo Bills Hall of Fame wide receiver, Andre Reid. And he basically talked about what makes someone a champion. So the three things that he says makes someone a champion is number one, to value your huddle. So again, he's a football player, so this is applying to football, but extrapolating this to real estate, valuing your team. So making sure that everyone on your team is on the same page, that everyone knows what the game plan, what the business plan, what the strategy is, and that everyone is executing the business plan. And then making sure that everyone is respecting each other and listening to each other's input and feedback. And that champions lead by influence and not by authority. Number two is know your role. So champions know what they are the best at. And they know what everyone on their team is the best at. Well, I guess taking a step back, they know what they're the best at. And then they create a team of people who are the best at things that they're not the best at. 
They know what their team's the best at, and so they let them focus on those aspects of the business. They know what they're the best at, so they focus on those aspects of the business, and everyone comes together to use their strengths for the betterment of the team. And then number three is that you win some and you lose slash you learn some. So champions know that things are not always going to go according to plan, and that as a result, they know how to handle things when everything goes wrong. And they know that once they figure things out, once they make it through this obstacle, they'll come out the other side even stronger. And then the fourth lesson from this talk, kind of bringing all three of these characteristics of a champion together, he says that being a champion is not based off of luck. So valuing your huddle, knowing your role, knowing that you win something, you lose some is not something that you just luck into. It's not the shake of an eight ball, as Andre Reed says. It comes from hard work and then consciously following the lessons one through three of being a champion. So that was an interesting talk. I actually met Andre. I didn't realize he's even him until they started passing around his Hall of Fame ring, which is, I wouldn't say literally, but figuratively the size of my head. It was huge. And I didn't realize he was sitting right next to me at the breakfast table. I got to hold his Hall of Fame ring, which he said was one of 170 of those in the entire world. So. Anyways, next is John Seabree, who was in the debate from day one. I can't remember. I think he works for Marcus and Millichap. I can't remember who he works for, but he's a big-time broker. And the two things that I got from him was, number one, well, I should talk about the lesson number two, because yesterday I mentioned a talk about this. But in the intellectual debate, it talked about how the man is outpacing supply for multifamily. So John actually went into the numbers of this and says that housing construction has fallen short of demand. So from 2000 to 2007, there was an oversupply of 2.5 million units. From 2008 to 2020, there's an undersupply of 1.5 million units, which means that they need to build 1.5 million units to meet the demand. So that's going back to just kind of yesterday's thing. But kind of similarly tied to that is that there is increasing demand for Class C assets because most of the new construction has been for Class A multifamily. So there has been and will continue to be a demand for workforce affordable housing, which is reflected by the lower vacancy rate and higher rent growth for class C compared to class A. So basically, they're not building enough units and what they are building are all class A. So there's not enough class C property. So the vacancy rates are really low because people are afraid to move out because they are afraid they're not going to find another place to live, which is resulting in an increase in rent. So class C is a good asset class to be investing in right now, according to John. And then Similarly, secondary and tertiary markets are in demand. So most of this new construction for Class A, most of these Class A deals are being built and done in these primary markets. So people are starting to move into secondary and tertiary markets as well. So you'll want to move there before everyone else is and start doing deals there because of the high competition in these primary markets. So that's John Seabury. Next is the Age of Data with Michael Cohen of the co-star group and Jeff Adler, which I'm sure you've seen. I get emails from him all the time from Yardy Matrix. And they had an interesting lesson about how to find deals. So the first tip was about these on-market deals, saying that basically no matter what, you're gonna overpay for an on-market broker-listed deal. So you need to make sure you're buying it in a market that allows you to offset overpaying for it. And they said that this is done by investing in markets with high net migration. So a lot of people moving in will allow you to kind of offset the extra money to pay for the deal. But more specifically on finding deals is that you can look at loan maturity data 
to see what owners have loans coming due soon. And then you can use CoStar or Yardi Matrix data to come up with a valuation of that property and then reach out to the owner to buy the deal. And they're saying how you don't want to reach out to them. And then they ask you how much it's worth. And you say, oh, well, I'll get back to you. Instead, you want to come up with a valuation first. When they ask you that question, say, well, based off of what I have, I think it's worth this much. But can you give me some more information so I can confirm or adjust this number? So that was interesting. We've talked about people's loans who are coming due being good targets before, but just the extra tip of making sure you have a valuation for the property beforehand is kind of new. Next is probably from the apartment syndicator's perspective, probably one of the better panels because it was stories of raising capital. So I've got three lessons I want to go over from here. Number one, I'm sorry, the speakers were Matt Faircloth, who I'm sure you know. He's got a pretty big presence on, on YouTube. And we've got Ryan Smith and we've got Neil Bawa. So the first lesson comes from Ryan Smith, who says that he believes we're transitioning from an LP market to a GP market, which as a general partner, as an apartment syndicator, that's good news to hear, right? So he says that the margins on apartment deals are being pinched and put under pressure. So as a result, he thinks that, number one, GPs are going to do less deals than they expect this year, which may or may not seem like a good thing or a bad thing to you. But because they're doing less deals, because the returns on the deals are getting lower, there's going to be more capital looking for deals than there are deals available. And so he thinks that the 8 to 10% preferred returns that are being offered right now are either going to be reduced down to maybe 6%, 4%, 2%, or they're going to go away entirely and just give me a straight up profit split. Or there's going to be some more unique passive investor compensation structures in the future. So as a GP, this is obviously a good thing because if it's a straight up profit split, you end up making more money as opposed to having to give away 8%, 10% of the deal before you make a profit split. So that was Ryan's prediction. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Number two, and this is Neil, and this is going to be big for people who haven't done many deals yet or haven't done a deal at all. And so he says that a track record is not required to raise capital. He says that this is a completely limiting belief and that it's pretty easy to debunk because no one would be on stage talking about raising capital if they needed a track record to start raising capital because everyone raised money for their first deal without a track record. So obviously it's possible. So he says that people don't invest in projects, they invest in people. So it's less about the deal, it's less about your experience in this particular type of investment strategy, but it's more about the emotional connection you have with the investor, how candid you are, how well you come across, and how specific you are that matters. So he said a great way to combat a potential passive investor who says, well, you don't have any experience and this guy over here has done 18 deals, so I'm gonna invest in his deal. And you say, well, I don't have a track record, that's correct. But if you invest with this syndicator who has their 18 deals, then you're gonna get at maximum 1 18th of their attention and effort. Whereas if you invest with me, you're going to get 100% of my effort focused on this deal. I'm actually going to stake my business, my reputation on this one deal. So kind of just turning the tables on them and saying, oh, well, sure, they have a lot of experience, but here's something that's negative about that. And sure, I don't have a lot of experience, but here's something that's positive about that. And then number four was also Neil Bawa. And he was talking about the fact that you're not going to scale by adding more content. You scale by repurposing content. So you're not going to triple your investor base by increasing the amount of content you put up by tenfold because it's just not possible. There's only so much 
new content you can create. And so instead you want to repurpose content that's already been created, which is, if you've noticed, something that we do a ton on the best ever team. So he says that, for example, let's say he records a one hour podcast episode. Well, he'll take that podcast episode and break it down into one minute clips. Maybe he'll get 10 or 15 one minute clips from an hour podcast episode. So there's one repurpose and he'll take those 15 clips, take the best ones, and then push those out to his investors. And then he'll take maybe those 15 clips and then another 15 clips from another podcast, maybe 15 clips from another podcast and maybe 10 podcasts worth of clips and then turn that into an ebook. And then he'll take the podcast, the ebook, the shorter clips, push it out on Facebook, push it out on social media, on LinkedIn, things like that. So basically he said his objective and your objective should be to repurpose every single piece of content at least 10 times. Not once, not twice, not five times, but 10 times. Seems to be focusing a lot on Neil Bawa in this episode because we're back with Neil again because he gave his advice on some 2020 real estate location trends. And I'm not going to go too into detail on what he talked about, but basically he has uh, his five metrics that he looks at. So I'm just going to quickly run through these. So number one is population growth. And so he only invests in cities with a population growth of at least 21.25% between 2000 and 2017. Number two is median household income. He wants to see the median household income growth of at least 31.5% between that same date range. Number three is median home values. He wants to see a growth of at least 42.5% between that same date range. Number four is crime levels. Only invest in cities with a crime level index calculated by city data that has been gradually decreasing and is below 500. And then number five is the 12 month job growth. Only invest in cities where the 12 month job growth is above 2%. So those are his five metrics. Talked about how easy it is to look those metrics up. And then based off of that, two markets that you've probably never heard of before that are really strong in all five of those categories is St. George, Utah and Yuba City, California. So I've never heard of them before, but apparently based off of Neil's metrics, these are solid locations. Other top markets were Raleigh, North Carolina, Reno, Nevada, Gainesville, Georgia, and Asheville, North Carolina. One other thing he said right in the beginning of his speech, kind of setting up his talk about how important data is, is that the Bible got it wrong by one letter. He says that it isn't the meek who will inherit the earth, but the geek. So not the meek, but the geek. And then he went into the types of things the geeks should be looking at. Next, we've got Frank Rosler, who's Joe's business partner, and he talked about underwriting and asset management. And he went into the asset management duties when managing a single property, as well as managing a portfolio. So we'll talk about the portfolio one. So he said that the two things that change when you're asset managing 20 properties as opposed to one property is number one, managing the scale properly. So doing things like implementing a system of schedules and reminders, creating daily, weekly, and monthly to-do lists, having an organized file sharing platform where each deal has its own folder and each project in that deal had its own subfolder. We've got delegating tasks to other team members because obviously one person can't wear all the hats, not becoming too emotionally invested, celebrating wins only for a small period of time and then using problems as a learning experience. And then secondly is adding in more sophisticated processes. So getting a revenue management software like Yieldstar or LRO, doing cost segregation analysis to accelerate your depreciation, hiring a local tax protester to protest your taxes each year because taxes are going to be your greatest expense, 
recapitalizing. So having new investors come in and buying shares as opposed to selling the property to make sure the taxes remain the same because something Frank says is hard is when you increase the value so much, the taxes will increase at sale. And that's something that investors really don't want to see. They don't want to buy properties with the taxes go up a ton. So recapitalizing is a good way to avoid that. Doing 1031 exchanges to defer taxes, purchasing interest rate caps on floating rate loans. And then once you've done a certain amount of deals of debt with an agency like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, you can actually secure a line of credit and then use that line of credit to buy deals so that you don't have to pay any prepayment penalties. And then something else interesting that Frank said is why do you need asset management if you've got a great property management company? And number one is the biggest risk point is the execution of the business plan. So you can do everything right, but if you don't execute the business plan properly, then the project's gonna fail. So there are hundreds of moving parts that need to be taken into account when executing a business plan. So having someone to oversee all these moving parts is important because the property management company is just one of the moving parts. There's a ton of other things going on that your property management company necessarily isn't doing or isn't responsible for that the asset manager needs to do. And then secondly, the property management company does not have ownership stake in the deal. And even if they did, it's not going to be as much as the ownership stake that you have in the deal. And their reputation isn't necessarily on the line, right? If they mess up, they can go somewhere else and continue managing properties. If you mess up, then your business collapses. So no one's going to take care of the property as well as you, the asset manager. All right, so we've got two more lessons. Next is taking the next leap. <laughs> this is a panel Joe did with some of his clients that talk about how they took the leap to do more syndication deals. and. One of his clients, Vikram Raya, had a really funny way to build a relationship with brokers. So for his first deal, he said that it took three years worth of networking to do his first deal. It involved conversations on the phone, actually flying in person to the market and meeting with brokers in person, whining and dining them, reviewing deals and providing feedback, all things we've talked about before. And then basically everything he could to prove that he was a serious investor who could close on the deal. So that's how he did his first deal, but eventually, he still, after this, had a hard time getting a deal. He was invited to multiple best and final offer rounds, but wasn't able to get the deal. And then he said that he called his dad up. He said, Dad, I'm flying in the town. I want you to go to the store and buy 10 bottles of Don Perignon. And he went and met all 10 of his brokers, gave them all bottles of Don Perignon. And sure enough, within a week, he had, he had a deal. So if you want to find a deal, buy your brokers some Don Perignon, which I think is champagne. And the last lesson comes from Brian Ellis, who's the CEO and host of Self-Directed Investor Radio, selfdirected.org. He was talking about elite capital raising webinar strategies and basically talking about how to create the best webinars. And he said that the first thing you need to realize is that people aren't investing based off of rationality. They are actually rationalizing. So he says that when someone sees a webinar, the first thing that happens is they have an automatic response to the deal. Something that an that they have no control over whatsoever, it's just automatically just happens. Similar to you put your hand on a hot stove and if you pull your hand away automatically, you don't put your hand in there and say, huh, this hurts, I think I'm gonna pull my hand away now. So that's number one. And then after that, they have this automatic response result in emotional stimulus, which is the gut feeling they have about the deal and what you're saying to them. So do they like it? Do they not like it? Is it scary? Is it interesting? And then after that, they will then think about all the data and facts that you present to them about the deal. And then from the automatic response, the resulting emotional stimulus and the analysis of the data and facts, they'll have their impression of the deal. 
And now they have the impression they'll go back over those three points and they'll pick out all the different pieces that make the most sense to them and support their impression. And they ignore the rest. And then they decide. So basically they decide on their impression of a deal, which comes from their automatic response and emotional stimulus and not the facts and the data. And most webinars focus on the facts and the data and not the emotional stimulus and the automatic response. So a few tips that he gave about how to get more capital commitments from fewer investors with less resistance and less time, which is obviously focusing on the automatic response and the emotional stimulus is number one, create questions in the mind of the prospects. So don't answer every single question. Make sure you leave some unanswered questions that can only be answered by reaching out to you and taking the next step in your process, the next step that you want them to take. Number two was to create urgency by design. So let them know why investing now will be better for them. And then number two was to have someone else tell your prospects why they should invest. So this would be ideally someone who's more credible in the eyes of the investors than you. And this could be an example of someone who's currently investing in your deals. An example that Brian gave is he had someone else that was actually a speaker come on stage and talk about how great his services were. And that said so that we, I got to come up here and do the exact same thing, but you're persuaded more by him coming up and saying how great my services are. So that's Brian Ellis, the last lesson. And those are the syndication lessons from day two. Again, the day one lessons, all of them, and the day two lessons, all of them are on our blog. So if you go to joefarrellis.com, resources, blog, or if you just search top lessons from every BEC 2020 session, both those blogs will come up and you'll get all of the different lessons that I got from the Best Ever Conference 2020. And then make sure you listen to part one of this episode as well, where I went over the main apartment syndication related lessons from the conference. So that concludes this episode as well as this series, the top apartment syndication lessons from the Best Ever Conference 2020. Until next time, check out some of the other syndication school episodes as well as take a look at those free documents that we have on there. All those are available at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you soon. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you serious about taking the first step in the gateway to financial freedom? Then join Jake and Gino on a four-week course that will teach you how to become a multifamily real estate investor. Go to jakeandgino.com. That's J-A-K-E-A-N-D-G-I-N-O.com.